This morning, we're going to continue our series on who will be saved. We have been going through this for, I don't know, four, five, six weeks, maybe. Uh, we're going to have probably three more, three or four more. We'll see how it goes. I want to talk about if-then statements for a minute. This is an important tool of human communication. Of course, because it is what I'm in right now, most of the ones that I was able to come up with were parenting if-then statements. If you don't eat your vegetables, you can't have dessert. I realize that's the wrong dessert. I realized it about 15 minutes ago. Don't worry about it. Uh, if you can't have your vegetables, that's an if-then statement, right? If you don't do this, then you can't have this. If you keep crossing your eyes, they'll get stuck that way. That's not true, by the way. Uh, that's not a true statement. Uh, but it is a warning, right? We say that to kids, right? Stop doing that. Although, I don't know, what's so bad about crossing your eyes? I think it's pretty fun. Uh, we use these statements all the time. You can think about them at work, right? If we accomplish this project, then this good thing will happen. Or if we don't accomplish this project, then this bad thing will happen. Maybe people will get fired, right? So this is an important part of communicating. We use this all the time. And these are mostly, not always, mostly statements of warning, are they not? The warning is, if this thing happens, then this bad thing might happen. Or if this thing doesn't happen, then this bad thing might happen. You could use them as promises too, though. If this good thing happens, then this other good thing will happen. Uh, and, and most importantly about if-then statements, they imply the opposite. So if I say, if you can't, if you don't eat your vegetables, you can't have dessert, the implication of that is the opposite, right? If you do eat your vegetables, then you can have dessert. The implication of the opposite is an important part of this idea. And so if we're thinking about the question, who will be saved, if-then statements are an important part of the way Scripture talks about salvation. If this thing, then this other thing. And many times it has to do with salvation or, and, and we, again, we began the series with this, any of the other number of words that have to do with salvation, justification, sanctification, uh, being forgiven, being with God, being in the kingdom, all these different kinds of statements that don't maybe use the word salvation, yet mean the same thing, right? They mean the same thing as being saved. So the scripture reading we read has a bunch of these in here, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If, this is the first one, if we have say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, he, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is basically just a sequence of if-then statements, right? If this thing, then the other thing. And there, it comes down to two things. One is the things we say and the other is the things we do. That's the walking, right? The walking would be the things we do, the way we live our lives. And we see two things here, right? If we walk in darkness... We are not with God. That's one of the most important parts of this, right? If we are doing the wrong things consistently, perpetually, habitually, that's the walking idea, then we are not in a relationship with him. If then. The opposite is also true in this case. 
Now, the second part of this, which we're going to focus on really more today, is the things we say, the idea of what we say. If we confess, then what? Well, he says in here, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, to be clear, God being faithful and just is not part of the then. He's always faithful and just, right? But the manifestation of his faithfulness and justice in this case is, if we confess, he will forgive. That is a manifestation of that faithfulness and justice. Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. This is the thing that we would say. We'll talk about that in a minute. Because if you confess with... uh, I knew I was going to do that. I have this lisp going on. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If something, then something else. Now, in this case, it's a two-part if. If this and this, then something else. So what are we supposed to confess? And we see in this text the thing that we are supposed to confess, right? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. That is the core of this confession. The word of faith that we proclaim. In this case, the manifestation of that was the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. That's the thing that we are confessing. But there's some other stuff. 1 John 1, 9, which we read, if we confess our sins, the things that we've done that are contrary to God's will, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Romans 10, 9, because if you can, I just read that one, we're not going to read it again. These are the two main things. And when we think about confession, this is the main categories. Our sins and our belief. The things that we believe, that, that word of faith, and there's a lot in that, right? There's a lot of the things that we believe. But then also the ways that we fail in that faith. The things that we do that are contrary to the things that we supposedly believe. The things that we supposedly uh, hold to be true. Right? The faith that we have, the, 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 that Jesus is, and it's not just Jesus is Lord. There's a lot of parts of that. But then also and, and critically, critically, the ways that we mess up. That is a critical thing that needs to be confessed. And I will say this. Let's go back to this verse in it for a moment. This is not just a mental thing, right? The, the text is very specific. If you confess with your mouth, that is, you say it now. Obviously, the, some, people, some people who want to be antagonistic are going to say, well, what if you're mute? Well, then do it with your hands, right? You can do that with sign language. That's a thing you could do. But the contrast, the thing that's important here, is that this is not just in your head. This is not just a thing between you and God. This is not just something that you're the only one that knows about. This is something that is public, that is something that other people can see or hear or understand. Um, Let's see, let's go back here. So who are we supposed to confess to? And, And... We're going to talk about this more specifically. When we think about our sins, that's a broad category, right? Confess our sins. That's a lot. That's a lot of things. We'll talk about the specificity in a couple slides. But I do want to note that this broad category of our sins, there's a lot to unpack in that. Who are we supposed to confess to? Well, the the obvious implication, obviously, 1 John 1, 8 through 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The implication is that we should be confessing to the one who has the power to forgive and cleanse, right? He's the one that has the ability to do that thing. You cannot cleanse my sins. Which is kind of nice. I'm glad it's not up to you, to be honest. Of course, you should be glad it's not up to me either. Uh, so this idea of who is the one that has the power to forgive? Who is the one that has the power to cleanse? Who is the one that I have sinned against? Well, sure, maybe I've done some bad stuff to you, but all sin fundamentally is about God and our relationship with him. So we, we should obviously confess, and I don't think anybody doubts that, we should confess to God. That's a thing that we should do, and we'll talk about that more as we go. But there's a couple other passages that are a little bit uncomfortable, I think, Awkward, maybe. Classic definition of awkward. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another. I kind of don't want to tell you guys my sins. But what not that what this is saying? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's an interesting thing in this text, the connection of the confessing and the praying that goes on here. The prayer of a righteous person my confession makes your prayers more effective because you know what to pray about, right? You as the one who is praying for me, that you may be healed, he's, you're praying for each other. Uh, your prayers are more effective if you know what to pray for. Matthew 10, 32 through 33, so everyone who acknowledges me before men and women, this would also, this is the generic sense of the word humanity probably, I will also ignore, uh, acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is one of my least, that's, that's an exaggeration. It's not one of my least. I don't like this translation. This is the ESV, and I've said this before, you need to have multiple translations in your own personal studies. I don't know why they chose to do acknowledge, because this word is the same as this word, actually is the same as this word, and the same as this word. All of them are the same word. I don't know why they suddenly chose to do acknowledge when it talks about uh, Matthew 10, 32 through 33, but it's the same word, the idea of confessing. It's, it's the same thing, and if you're the kind of person that writes in your Bibles, you, should, you could maybe just write that in there in a little footnote that this is the word for confess. This is not some special extra separate thing. This is the same thing that James says. If you confess your sins to one another, so therefore everyone who confesses me before men. Luke 12, 8 through 9. And I tell you, same thing. Again, I don't know why different here. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. This contrast between confession and denial, this is an interesting contrast that we see first in 1 John 5, right? In 1 John 5, if we say we have no sin, that's denial. The opposite of confession. That you're denying that you have sin. Oh, I don't have sin. I don't have any sin. That's not me. That's the opposite of the confessing, right? The denial versus the confession. We see a similar contrast here. Matthew 10 and, and Luke 12. Oh, I don't know that guy. Classic example of this is Peter, right? As he's sitting around the campfire. Jesus is on trial. He's about to be crucified. And, and Peter's sitting around there. And what do they? the people ask him? Oh, hey, you're one of those guys that was with Jesus. Ah! I don't know that guy. That's denial. Think about our sins. Oh, you have X, Y, or Z sin. 
Ah, I didn't do that. That's the denial that we talk about with sin. This idea of confessing and, and focusing specifically on who. Yes, confessing to God, but also confessing to people. And there's, a, I think, a difference here that is going on that we confess our sins to one another. Who's the one another in that? That would be fellow Christians, right? That I'm specifically confessing my sins to you guys so that you can help me and, and we can be together and united in that. And then this other contrast, not contrast, this other flavor in Matthew and Luke that I'm confessing Jesus not just to you guys, right? Hopefully not just to you guys. But I'm, I'm confessing Jesus before... Anyone who asks that you be prepared to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is within you is what Peter says. I sort of paraphrase that. Uh, that I'm, I'm willing to confess Jesus before anybody. And in some cases, I might even be confessing my sins to non-Christians. If I have wronged a non-Christian, you know what I need to do? Own up to it. And say, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I did that wrong thing. Especially as it affects people around us. I think the confessing to, this is not clear enough. The confessing, I don't know, it's hard to say. I think the confessing to people is harder, maybe. I don't know, it depends probably on your circumstance. It's, I don't think, necessarily easy to confess to God. But if we think about it logically, what's going on? Well, you're not telling him anything he doesn't already know, right? You're not giving God new information. So when we think about confessing, there is a sort of a difference in the way that I confess to God and I confess to people because God, is, it's an acknowledgement of something that we all both already know to be true. God knows it, I know it, I need to admit it. But with you guys, I'm giving you new information that you may not have known. Now maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But that's hard, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable, right? I don't have to face God's disapproving glare that I'm going to have to face maybe from you guys. That's a difficult thing to say that you've done a wrong thing to another person and then have to deal with the immediacy of that, right? God is spirit, and so there's this sort of level of removal. I'm not really seeing his reaction. Now, I know his reaction, and I've been told his reaction. And, of course, we know that there should be godly grief of repentance when we confess, that I confess because I do feel bad. And I have that godly sorrow. And I have that godly grief that leads me to repentance. But there also is a vast amount of comfort, obviously, in confessing to the Father. In admitting that I did the wrong thing and let's get it out of the open and then now he can deal with it and now he can forgive me and I know he's faithful and just and will forgive me of my sins. Man, when I do that with people, it doesn't always work out that way, does it? When I tell them my sins. Maybe there's judgment, condemnation, disapproval, makes things awkward, makes things uncomfortable. And the immediacy of it, because we are both physical beings, is I think at times hard to come to grips with. When I confess to a human, it can be very awkward and uncomfortable, but consider for a minute the importance of it and what the text says about why it matters. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If then, Matthew 10.32, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before the Father. This is a matter and really is an integral part of the question, who will be saved? If Jesus denies you before the Father, you will not be saved, right? 
That's sort of the whole point of the advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that he is the one that intercedes for us. You think about the courtroom scene. So I'm standing before judgment. Uh, God is, is in the judgment seat there, up there, and, and Jesus is the one who is advocating or, or, or uh, talking to the judge. And then I come before God, and I'm standing there, and, and God says, should this be person, and, and this is obviously a personification of something that may or may not be like this, but this is how I visualize it. God says, should this be person be allowed into heaven? And what's Jesus going to say there? No. He should not be allowed in heaven. I do not know this person. That's what this is saying, right? I will deny before my Father. And when I stand in the judgment seat of God, before the judgment seat of God, I would really like Jesus to admit that he knows me, to confess me before the Father. That's what that is, right? To admit that he knows who I am. Yeah, God, let this guy in. He's, he's one of ours. He, he should go into heaven. This is not an optional extra, right? This is not an if you feel like it. This is not an if it's convenient or if it's comfortable. This is a do this if you want to be saved. An important part of the answer to the question, who will be saved? So some questions. Think about some practicality. Oops, went too far. When was the last time you listed your failings before the Father? Just think about it for a minute. Now, I think we have this, and this is we're going to get into the specificity now. Sometimes I think we have this sort of, and God, I'm sorry for all the sins I've committed today. That's a cop-out, is what that is. Now, if you're, you know, we do this maybe in, in family prayers or prayers with other people. We don't want to spend copious amounts of time listing all the things that I did wrong. But you know what? At some point, you should do that. You should think about specifically, what did you do that was a sin and say that to God? Don't just do the cop-out of this sort of general, all-inclusive, all the things I've done. Tell God what you did. Confess those sins. Yeah, you're going to probably have to think about it for a bit. That's okay. Part of the point of this is to think about, and part of the point of confession, we think about it from God's perspective here, right? The point is not that God needs to know about it, because he already does. So that, that's obviously not the point of confession here, because God doesn't need the info. The point of it is to get us to think about and admit and acknowledge it. Why? Well, for one thing, if I think about it and admit it, then I know that that's a problem and I can work on it for next time. And two, when I think about it and admit it, then I'm really bringing into focus just how deep the grace I've received is. Just how abundant God's favor is to me. Not this sort of generic, all the sins that I've committed, but you know what, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this, and God's forgiving me of all of those things. And how amazing that is and awesome and wonderful. And if you don't take the time to think about and list them, you're missing the depth of your forgiveness and the depth of God's grace for you. When was the last time you specifically confessed your sins to another human? Maybe you've never done that. Because it's scary and it's hard and it's difficult. But, you know, we're told to confess our sins to one another. Do you do that? If you're not, you're not, 
it's an explicit command, right? It's, it's right in there. It's not confusing language. So if you're not doing that, you are not following the commands. That can be tough, right? Uncomfortable, difficult. When was the last time you did it? Maybe you've never done it. I would encourage you to start doing it now. Oh, I already said the specific thing. And like repentance, this is not intended to be a one-time event, right? That I confess and then I'm done forever. That's not how it works. You confess when what? When you've committed a sin. That's when you do that. And, and we haven't even talked about the acknowledging Jesus before men part yet. When was the last time you told someone that you believed in Jesus? Have you ever done that? When was the last time you admitted before somebody else that Jesus was your Lord and the person that you submit to and the person that you want to please and the person that's most important to you? When was the last time you did that? Again, you don't do that once and then you're done. I did it at baptism. Now I never do that again. I do that when? Whenever I need to maybe influence someone for the gospel. Whenever there is an opportunity, that's when I do that, right? I don't just do it once and then I'm done. Confession is not a one-time event. There's an interesting, we're going to end with this, oh no, we've got one more after this, this chain of scriptures in Hebrews. Hebrews, the Hebrew writer talks a lot about confession. And there's an interesting aspect of this idea of holding on to our confession, grasping it, holding on to it, keeping it close, this idea that this confession is a thing that I grab on to. Hebrews 3, 1 and 2, Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. The high priest of our confession, what does that mean? There's two, two ways that really comes out. In the Old Testament, you think about the, con in, in the, some religious groups do this today, the idea of confessing to the priest, right? That I go before the holy man and I confess to him. Well, that is literally what's happening with Jesus. He is the high priest of our, the one who takes our confession, the one who I'm confessing about. He is the one that I am, he is integral in this idea of confession. But he's also the one, not just that I'm confessing to, but the one that I am confessing about, right? That I am confessing that I believe or that I submit to or that I accept Jesus. So not only is he the one that is integral in who I'm confessing to, but he is also the one who is integral in what I'm confessing about both to and about, different circumstances, obviously. Hebrews 4.14, Since therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What does that mean? So I confess, maybe, that I believe in Jesus. Well, you know what? If I confess that I believe in Jesus, you know what I shouldn't then go out and do? Live as if I didn't believe in Jesus. What is, that's what that means, right? If I'm holding fast my confession, I am living as if what I confessed is still true in my heart. That it affects the way I live and informs every decision that I make. I admitted, hopefully, when I was baptized, I admitted that Jesus is my Lord. Well, then you know what? I should live as if Jesus is my Lord. But you know what else? This idea of holding fast our confession, the idea of confessing sins... If I confess, I'm sorry I did this thing, whatever it happens to be, and then I feel forgiven of that, then you know what I should do if I admitted that that was a wrong thing? Don't keep doing the wrong thing. Don't keep doing the thing that you admitted was wrong. That is another way we hold on to our confession. 
I confessed my sin before God, and I'm going to hold on to the confession that that's wrong, and that I shouldn't have done that, and then I'm going to stop doing that thing, because I already admitted that it was wrong. Otherwise, I'm letting go of that confession. Yeah, I, I, I confessed that it was wrong before, but you know what? I really want to do it again. So I'm going to let go of that confession. I don't think it's wrong anymore, and I'm going to do it again. And then, you know what? Two weeks from then, I'll confess it again. That's not holding on to a confession. Hebrews 10, 21 through 23. Since we have a great high priest, and again, note the high priest language in this, right? The, the carrying of the priest language. Since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's pause there for a moment. What is the thing that is requisite of our cleansing? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You only get to have the confidence and assurance if you first had the confession. If you've confessed your sins before them, before the Father and confessed your allegiance to Jesus, not only to the Father, but also to men. And if you've confessed then and only then do you get to have the, what does he say? the assurance of faith and the, the heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, that's the only time you have, get to have the confidence is if you've confessed already, right? So let's keep reading. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We see a different thing that we're confessing, right? Not just that I'm confessing my sins. Not just that I'm confessing that Jesus is Lord. I'm confessing that he is the one who has what I need. He is the one who has the salvation that I desperately, desperately want. He's the one that I'm hoping in. So if I've admitted and confessed and acknowledged that I know that he has the hope, don't live as if that's not true. Don't live as if you've suddenly forgotten that confession, right? If you once confessed it, whatever it happens to be, don't forget it. Hold on to it. Let it be a, a foundational, constant part of your life. Either the sin that you've confessed or the faith that you've confessed. Because we know how it'll end, right? We'll end with this passage. We know what the end will be. Romans 14, 10 through 12. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Not maybe not might, will. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You will confess eventually. You're going to do that eventually. Maybe not in this life, but you know, when you stand before the judgment seat of God, God is going to make you confess. And really, you're not going to have any choice in the matter. Faced with the awesomeness of God in person, there's going to be no way to deny that he is real, that he is Lord, that he is awesome, that he is perfect, and that you are flawed. That's going to happen. We know that. Things will be much better for us the sooner we confess, right? Hopefully in this life, that's the cutoff ultimately. Confess before you die or things will not go well in judgment. But even in this life, Things will be better for us the sooner we confess. The sooner I admit that I have a problem, the sooner I can start working on it and have improvement and have growth and have faith and have 
that spiritual strength that comes through confession. If I keep denying and keep denying and keep putting it off and keep putting it off, things are not going to get better. Things are not going to be positive. Things will just get worse and they'll get worse and they'll get worse. I hope you'll start confessing today. 